Welcome to episode 66 of Pub Crawl, a publishing podcast about reading, writing, books, and occasionally booze. I'm your host, S.J. Jones. I'm a New York Times bestselling author and an erstwhile editor. And I'm your co-host, Kelly Van Sant. I am a literary agent and a publishing contracts expert. We are both contributors with the Publishing Crawl blog, and together we have over 15 years of industry experience. And today is our third ever Query Critique podcast. Yay, finally! Yay! And just to let you guys know, we did get quite a few, so we won't be able to get to all of them, as with we have in previous episodes. And also, though, the quality of these were really great. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's just because, like, you guys are learning from what we're teaching you, which is what I like to think that is the case. <laughs> um, but a lot of them are, like, pretty solid. Like, honestly, I think most of the ones that we got in, you know, barring a little nitpicks here and there, I would say generally pretty, probably have a pretty good chance of connecting with an agent. So just continue. So if you did submit it to us and you don't hear us critique it on the podcast, just continue to submit, you know, keep going, keep working at it. So, um, I guess so then without further ado, we can go ahead and start. So Kelly, do you want it? Do you want to go ahead? Sure. Okay. So, um, this first one that we've got up here. All right. Dear agent, Thank you so much for your thoughtful and positive feedback during the recent Yarwa pitch contest. It was during this contest that you requested the full manuscript of title, which I am attaching to this letter. I read that you're searching for strong, unique voices and compelling stories with high stakes. Title is an upper YA post-apocalyptic and reveals one girl's journey through a gritty underground world with the rebel who's come to her rescue more than once. 17-year-old Nori can't bear the light of day, and with the threat of another sun-scorch, must find safety underground. Betrayed and left for dead, she's rescued by motorcycle maverick Sam Cooper, who leads her through a strange new subterranean world where life is hard, and so are the people. Beneath a Mexican mountain range near the more temperate 25th parallel, they discover the secret entrance to a militant group's headquarters and the horrible truth behind the recent ecopocalypse. Title, complete at 81,000 words, is the first in a planned series, although it is written to stand alone. In the world of title, Mad Max meets Gaiman's Neverwhere. In June of 2017, Title was named a finalist in the Yarwa Rosemary Contest Speculative Fiction category. In 2015, I self-published a fantasy romance series that has sold about 45,000 copies, the second of which was selected by iBooks iTunes as an hour pick in, sci- in fantasy sci-fi. I am a member of the RWA, um, the YARWA, and my local affiliate. Thank you very much for your time and for your consideration of representing my work. So the first thing... Actually, the first thing that I I think we want to talk about is the opening, which I think Kelly has more of a direct opinion about this since she is an agent who has been pitched to at conferences and Mm -hmm. such. Um, Yeah, so you kind of open with this whole big paragraph. You remind the agent that you met um, at this contest and that this material was requested, which is great. You should do that. If somebody has requested your material, remind them where you met, remind them that they requested this. But then you kind of go into a general pitch of like, oh, I read you're searching for strong, unique voices. Well, I mean, you, you met the agent. That's kind of 
well, you don't really need to tell us about the research that you did in that sense. I mean, I think, you know, it's enough to mention the fact that you met the agent, the agent requested this book, and I would kind of just jump right into the pitch from that point on. Um, if you want to put kind of the log line at the top, you can. Um, the kind of log line that we've got in this query is it's a YA post-apocalyptic that reveals one girl's journey through a gritty underground world with the rebel who's come to her rescue more than once. Um, I don't really understand what kind of a story that's going to be just from that log line. I think, um, you know, you'd, I would like something a little bit more clear that just kind of tells me who the characters are, but you know, I don't know why they're journeying. I don't know what they're trying to do just based on that one sentence. So I might even cut that and just go right into the body of your query. Um, yeah, I think if, you've got a lot of stuff at the beginning that you don't need. Yeah. And also like if it was like a Twitter pitch contest, you could put the, the pitch that you used on Twitter to kind mm -hmm. of remind the agent that they, oh, by the way, they faved this or whatever it was. Um, but as far as a as a logline, you really don't need them in in queries. You just no. need to tell the agent what the story is, and to get into the story, we only have one paragraph of what the story actually is. And I, you know, I do go through and I actually check the length of uh, the queries because I think we'd said before that the sweet spot for most queries is kind of between two hundred fifty to four hundred words. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just like the actual content of the query and not like the introduction in your credits or whatever. It's like the content of the query is like 250 to 400 words. And I would say the sweet spot is honestly like 300 words. Yep. And the query that we got, this query that we read out loud first is only 78 words. Yeah, it's not that, enough. It's not enough. Mm -mm. It's not enough. Um, we have... So we have the two leads, which is fine, but we don't know very much about them. So it says we have 17-year-old Nori can't bear the light of day, which is, okay, interesting, but not a, a particular reason why. You know, does she have some sort, of, sort of genetic defect, or is it just like an emotional thing? She can't bear the light of day. I don't know. Um, and then it says she's betrayed and left for dead. Betrayed by whom? Yeah. Why is she left for dead? <laughs> Um, and then it says she's rescued by a motorcycle maverick. And okay, so where does the motorcycle maverick come from? What is the world that we're living in that this is a thing? Um, and then who leads her to a strange new subterranean world where life is hard and so are the people. Which is very vague. It, it doesn't say anything about how life is hard. Um, and how the people are hard. I'm not sure what that means. Um... You know, and so we kind of get this sort of a couple of sentences of just the plot. We mm -hmm. just get plot with no specifics, just a very vague, this is what happens. You know, they gain entrance to a secret militant group's headquarters, and then it says the horrible truth behind the recent eco-apocalypse. You know, so a lot of these things don't tell me much about it. And I think the the actual um, X meets Y formula of N Mad Max meets Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere is fine. You're describing yeah. the setting, but you're not describing the story. We don't know what the change is. We don't know what they discover. We don't know why they're on this journey, aside from the fact that this, I guess, this person was left for dead. Like, where was this motorcycle maverick even going when he found her? Mm -hmm. None of and these things are there. Yeah, and if it's so dangerous to live on the surface, 
you know, why is anyone living on the surface? Why isn't everyone in this subterranean world? You know, or is Nori the only one who has this particular affliction where she can't bear sunlight? You know, but there's a lot that we don't know. Yeah, and granted, like I said, this is 78 words. So you have a lot of room here to expand, to give us a little bit of characterization. You know, you can set up the world properly. You can set up the character motivations. So, you know, you said that she can't bear the light of day. Okay, explain why. She's betrayed by whom? She's left for dead. Why? That's really the beginning of the story. That's your setup. And then she's rescued by a motorcycle maverick. Okay, so then explain what that is and why and how he finds her and how they end up together. Because then it just says he leads her to a new subterranean world. But why does he lead her? I mean, why does why does she go with him? There's a lot of these sort of setup questions that I don't have answered here. So like again, only 78 words, you have a lot of room to fill this out. Yeah. Yeah, so I would basically, you know, trim down on your opening paragraph and and spend more query real estate telling us the story. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to, to point out was that um, the numbers on the self-published series, and those are actually pretty decent numbers, 45,000 copies, is not is pretty good. Um, and it's good that I think you're querying with a totally separate book, because I think if you had queried with the self-published work, basically somebody would look at that and say, well, that's 45 copies, 45,000 copies of a book I can't sell. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it does show you that you're able to write... Uh, something that people will buy. So I think, you know, it, it's it's not a bad thing, and it's you know, like I said, it's a pretty decent number. So um, that's that's fine. But yeah, I think this one is definitely too short. Not enough information. So yeah, we have anything else? No, let's move on to the next one. Okay, this is dear JJ and Kelly. Addison Dodds is very much like every other 17-year-old girl. She's clever, awkward, and stubborn, but she also carries the secret that she let go of her brother's hand seconds before his death, the implications guiding her decision, her every decision thereafter. When Owen Gwen, Addison's best friend, is forced to tell her that her mother's extramarital affair is no longer a secret, Addison has a decision to make. Stay with her dad and best friend or choose her mother whose mental health has plummeted since the death of her son. Like every other instance she can recall, she chooses her mom. Family, mental illness, guilt, lies, and her mother's partner, the Cuckoo, stain Addison's new life. With her duties understood, Addison is determined to right her mistakes while allowing herself to be subject to her mother's volatile and dramatic behavior. All the while, she tries to figure out where Owen fits into her new life and how, if ever, she will be willing to leave her mother in order to fulfill her personal goal of studying at one of the most prestigious medical programs in Scotland. It's while trying to cope with the many changes in starting her senior year that Addison meets Kessler Gad, a college student struggling with a highly personal secret about his father's inheritable genetic illness. In a friendship so unlike her familiar one with Owen, Addison is continually pushed through her comfort zone as Kessler determinedly attempts to break through her barriers. In the ensuing months, it becomes clear to Addison that if she ever is ever able ever going to be able to get off the path of guilt that binds herself to her mother she'll need to accept her past and risk letting others in something she has never been willing or able to do title is a young adult contemporary novel complete at a hundred thousand words okay so 
this query leaves us with both a lot of questions and some clarity issues, I think. Um, let's, you know, to start at the beginning, we start with kind of this rhetorical question at the beginning. You know, Addison Dodds is very much like every other 17-year-old girl. She's clever and awkward and stubborn, but carries the secret she let go of her brother's hand second before his death. I don't think this opening works. Um, one, because I don't think every 17-year-old girl is clever, awkward, and stubborn. Um, so I think that saying that that's what all 17-year-old girls like is not a great way to open. Um, I think the interesting bit is that she let go of her brother's hand seconds before his death. That's right. interesting. And so I would just almost start with something like that and make it straightforward um, as a part to, as a as opposed to coming at it sort of from this side angle, um, you know, at 17 year old Addison Dodds let go of her brother's hand seconds before his death. And, you know, the implications of that have been guiding her decision, you know, thereafter that makes me automatically have some questions about her brother's death. How did he die? Why was she with him? Um, you know, we could certainly use a little bit more detail there. Then we kind of move into this paragraph about, her best friend who is forced to tell her that her mother's having an affair and it's not a secret anymore. And I just don't understand why the best friend is delivering that information. Also, like, so the, the thing is, you could probably guess from me reading it out loud, I had difficulty parsing any of this together. Yeah. This, the, the one, the sentences are actually quite long, which is fine, but the sentences are very long, contain a lot of information. So I don't know where to put the emphasis when I'm reading something like this aloud. It rambles. So, you know, it starts with this interesting character, and then it doesn't tell me anything about her until kind of the bottom of the second of the third paragraph where it says if she's willing to leave her mother to fulfill her personal goal of studying at a prestigious prestigious medical program Mm -hmm. so that's kind of like the conflict that she has to come to the the personal growth that she has to come to but it we we like we have to wade through all of this information and all of the setup that Frankly, in a query is unnecessary. All we know is that she is she feels responsible for her brother's death, and therefore that guilt makes her stay with her family, even though she probably doesn't have to, or you know, that, that guilt makes her stay when she what but when what she really wants to do is leave to study at a prestigious medical program. That's mm-hmm. kind of like the basic core of the story. Yeah. And the probably the the inciting incident of this story is really when she meets Kessler. Yes. And that doesn't happen until the last paragraph. And it sounds like Kessler has his own, you know, baggage that he's sorting through and how that bumps up against Addison's baggage is probably going to be the real meat and conflict of this book. And yet at the same time, I don't know anything about him, why he is pushing her through her comfort zone or how. Mm -hmm. So we get a lot of rambling telling in this query. It's not that long. It's 313 words, but it reads long. It does. It does. And a lot of the information, you know, like you were saying, a lot of this is setup or backstory. And I'm not even sure necessarily how to read some of it from a clarity standpoint. You know, at one point you talk about her mother's partner and then in parentheses it says the cockatoo with cockatoo um, capitalized. And is this an actual 
bird? Is this the person her mother was having an affair with? Is this his nickname? Like, it just seems like a strange bit of information that I had that, that just raises more questions than it answers. So, I mean, just think about the details. You know, I think on our last query um, podcast, when we were talking about writing queries, we talked that details and specificity are important, but it has to be the right details. We get a lot of information in this query, but it's not the information that we actually need. Mm -hmm. I think we'd sort of, you know, as, as Kelly and I've been discussing, identifying the core story, which I, I hope that I've identified for you. This is me trying to make those logical leaps, reading this query, trying to Mm -hmm. make those leaps in narrative logic. I think that this is somebody who is affected by the guilt of her brother's death, that she feels responsible for him. And, you know, so she's torn between having to take care of her mother and wanting to leave. That's, I feel like that's the core of your story. So if you, that is the core of your story, then try and figure out where all of the other details come in. And if they're even necessary, all the things about Owen, her best friend is, is interesting. And it probably, if you know, informs Addison's decisions and her behavior. And at the same time, I can't quite figure out what, what Owen, I don't understand what place Owen fits in her life or even whether or not Owen is male, female, or female or otherwise. When I first read this, I thought Owen was a girl. (laughs) And then now I'm like, but Owen is not typically a, ma- a, a girl's name. So I was very confused. And the only other pronoun we get is Kessler's, who we know is male. So I I was very lost. I honestly, I was, you know, like I said, as I was reading it out loud, I stumbled over several sentences because I just couldn't figure out where to put the emphasis, what the priority was in the sentence. So I think this query does need to be reworked. Because the other thing is, I did make that logical leap. Like, I had to sit here and really think about it and say, okay, this is probably the core of the story. Am I interested in reading that story? But you're not going to have the luxury of that time. An agent is going to see this query and then just be like, I don't know what this is about, and then probably move on. Because, mm-hmm. I don't know, how many do you get in a month, Kelly? Oh, but or 400 on average a month, and I'm just a new agent, so agents that are really well-established can get thousands a month, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm it's it's a lot and and you know we we try to give you know our full attention to everything but it, once you lose someone's attention um they're going to move on to the next thing they're not going to struggle and wrestle and try to you know get back into the query if you've lost them so that's why clarity is really important putting the stakes right up front is really important um the other thing i wanted to mention about this is that the word count is really high it's a hundred thousand words for a YA contemporary. It really should be more like seventy or eighty thousand. Um, word count is not an end all be all. We've all read books that are shorter than average or longer than average, and those things do get published. But um, when I see that word count and I see this query that seems to be piling in all of this, you know, kind of extraneous stuff it makes me concerned that there's going to be a lot of extraneous stuff in the book that can probably be cut. Um, and I can't identify what those things are just from the query, but uh, you know, this, this makes me pause and say, I don't know that this book really necessarily needs to be this long. A hundred thousand words is a lot. You should, 
you should easily be able to cut 20 down from that. Um, and that's not to say that you can't go out and query with a book, you know, that's long. And, and if you get representation, an agent will help you edit it down. And, but it is something that you should be, um, aware of. You should, you should research the average word counts for your genre and you should try to make sure that your book is, um, in the ballpark if at all possible. Yeah. So I think the, the two things the actually the word count and the rambliness of this query seem connected to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so we can move on to the next one. Okay. Um, okay. Dear agent, Isleen, the widowed queen of Naratha, wants nothing more than to live out her reign in peace and pass on her crown to her young son. But the exiled kingdom of Danlin is rising under the black flag of Vulcan, one of Isleen's own sorcerers. Under threat of invasion, Isleen must step out of her husband's shadow and unite the kingdom. Vulcan has made a bargain with an ancient demon, selling his family's souls to make him immortal. Blind with desperation, Isleen sends a group of six magic users, led by Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel Said, to hunt Vulcan's family. For only in killing them can Vulcan be killed, or so Isleen hopes. But when Said discovers their mission might be for nothing, he must decide where his loyalties lie, with the friends he's leading into damnation, or the kingdom he swore to protect. With war on the horizon, Isleen needs to muster her family and name a commander, but in her fractious court, there are few she can trust, and Isleen knows the man who leads the army could also take the crown. The obvious choice would be the powerful Duke Riker, but Riker has changed these past years, made, remade by the zealotry of the brothers of Elizur. Isleen is not at all pleased with the result. When Isleen learns Riker intends to betray her, she knows she has to act. Naratha cannot survive invasion if it is mired in civil war. She has a way to stop it, and it sits at the foot of her bed. The lyre is an ancient instrument of evil whose song can ensnare the souls of men. If she plays it, she can bring Riker to heal. But if her will fails her for even a moment, it's Isleen who will be enslaved. The lyre is a work of fantasy, complete at 104 words. Thank you for your time and consideration. So, this is, I think we have talked about word salad in previous podcast episodes. Uh-huh. And I understand as well that, and I'm assuming this is adult fantasy, not young adult fantasy, and that's fine. You know, that's completely fine as well. It could be a big ensemble piece, sort of like George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. It could be a big cast where it's trying to tell the story of an entire civilization or something like that that is fine um but i will be completely honest that when kelly and i first got this query to critique i had a very difficult time reading it Uh in that my eyes kept skipping over all of these names and trying and like kind of scanning the query for concepts and words that i could hold on to to try and basically give myself footing in this fantasy world. Like, I just was like, okay, so who is the main character? What is the main conflict? Who is... I was very, very... It just took me several tries. Yeah, I mean, in the first 
paragraph alone, we have the widowed queen, queen who's Isleen, her young son, the sorcerer, and her husband. That's four characters just in the first paragraph. <laughs> and we're yeah. going to get a lot more as we go on. Um, so it's a lot. And another thing, too, when reading this out loud, um, I felt like every sentence introduced a new plot complication. Like, Mm -hmm. first she's trying to step out from the shadow of her husband, and then um, she's got this group of magic users, and then she's got to kill this guy, and then she needs, you know, there's this duke who she wants to ally with, but can't, like, they're just, I don't understand what her main goal is, because it seems like a new goal is introduced every sentence. And so I can't I can't follow what the main objective is. Is is Isleen the active character? I think so. She's the most frequently mentioned, and it seems like she has to find a You know, she's the one who's trying to unite the kingdom. She's the one who has to try to stop the civil war. It, it seems like she's the protagonist. Um, but it seems like it's going to be this book kind of like you said, where there's going to be a lot of political intrigue and a lot of moving parts and a lot of, um, you know, ambiguous characters who switch sides and, and things like that, which is fine. Um, but you need to identify the core story. And you don't need to walk us through her relationships with all of these people. One, because I can't keep them straight. There's so many characters in this now that I can't remember their relationships to Isleen and what side of the conflict they're on. You know, you can just say something like, you know, like that they're, you know, Isleen has to, doesn't know who she can trust. And, you know, you can talk about things on a broader scale without bringing in individual characters at that point. Here, like, so, you know, it seems like there's two big stories here. She is, she's trying to fend off an invasion from an evil sorcerer. Right. On one hand. And also try and keep her army commander under control with a magical artifact? Yes. I'm I'm trying to sort of figure out how these why these two storylines are in the same book. And it, it, you can, you can certainly have multiple moving parts in a book and I'm assuming possibly a series, but I just was trying so what is the more important storyline? Is it her trying to fend off Vulcan or her trying to find the I trying the to liar. control I I'm so lost and this is what i mean by this is this is what i mean by like i was trying to find something to hold on to i was mm-hmm. you know i was like my eyes were literally slipping all over this this query trying to be like yeah. okay so was there something that i find familiar like is there you know when we talked about archetypes last week we talked about the archetypal story is like the broadest possible narrative or, and, and all these sort of tropes are easy handholds for us to grab onto and to sort of situate ourselves in a narrative. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. So I was very, I'm just, I sorry, I'm just kind of like, I don't... Yeah, and there's things too that, um, 
they're just word choices that I don't understand that again might make sense in the book proper, but that for me, um, reading just on a query level, you know, you say the exiled kingdom. I don't understand what that means. How can a kingdom be exiled? Um, you know, so it's like, I can understand an exiled monarch or an exiled king, but I don't understand an exiled kingdom. Um, so there's just, I think JJ's right. I think you need to identify your core story and, and just present that to us, um, as simply as possible because people love reading fantasy. I mean, adult fantasy is a wonderful genre that has a huge readership. And so it's not that you're writing the wrong kind of story. It's just that the query is so distilled and so brief. And when you read a fantasy novel, you get to build all this in you know, the reader will understand everything that's happening because you've built in this world building. You've built in, you know, what this magic is and these demons and these kingdoms and their political realities in this world. And you have the space and the scope in a novel to elaborate on all those things, but you don't have that space in this query letter. And so we just have nothing to hold on to here. I mean, and even a work like A Song of Ice and Fire, uh, which is very complicated and has a lot of moving parts and a lot of POV characters, it really starts, though, with one family, the Starks, who leave their home at the behest of the king. And the first book is fairly simple, actually, plot-wise. The first mm-hmm. book is Ned is called to King's Landing by his his old friend to discover what happened to the previous hand of the king. So it's in its own way, it's kind of a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. So it's really about, and it's also really about Ned, and it's about one family. And then the end of that book, the world opens up. And in, of course, in A Game of Thrones, you learn about the other political forces that are acting upon the realm of Westeros, but really it starts with Ned. He is our point of view. He's our point of entry. Mm-hmm. And we know what his point is, because he's going, because he feels obligated to do this for his friend. This yeah. man he has a clear purpose. Yeah, he has a clear emotional drive. Um, and so there's a lot of things in Ned that are complicated, like, you know, about his, his wife and his children and his supposed bastard and all these sorts of things. Like, there are a lot of complicated things happening and the family dynamic is complicated, but it's really a simple story about a man who's uprooted his family and discovers something he shouldn't have, and that sets off the rest of the entire sh- the entire series. So, f- identifying that core story, even though, like I said, Game of Thrones by now has a bazillion points of view, a bazillion. Um, so, if identifying that core story will help make it easier and give us a point of entry into this world. Mm-hmm. All right. So, shall we move on to the next one? Yes. For as long as she has known, Saskia has heard mythic tales of the Black Mirror and its wish-granting properties, but what she has never known was just how fragile legends truly are. When her father grows ill, Saskia's desperation to save him forces her to seek out the mirror, unknowing that the magic it possesses will trap her sister in a deep sleep. To save her sister, Saskia must travel all the way to the Imperial Palace at the court of the Ice Vales to discover the secret to awakening her sister straight from the mirror itself, which the king has placed under his protection. 
but with her arrival at court saskia is drawn into a political battle with the leader of the religious faction of her home nation zazet a curiously beautiful man named fox who has the answers to see to saving her sister but to save her sister she must follow fox's political agenda as he seeks to manipulate all of those around i'm assuming him and commit actions that make her question the lines between good and evil and whether some risks are worth t- worth taking title is a sixty thousand word fantasy novel which is best described as a court of thorns and roses meets the dark symbolism of snow white so we think both jj and i think that there is a really interesting story in here somewhere the query just is not presenting it as successfully as it could i think in part, um, some of this is um, technical. The writing in the query, we get another, a lot of long sentences here again. Almost all of them are quite long. They're and very long, and I had to sort of guess at where the pauses were because they're surprisingly missing a lot of commas. Yeah, and sometimes ideas are joined together in ways that don't necessarily make sense. Um, and so... You know, I, I vary your actual writing a little bit. Give us some shorter sentences. Give us some longer sentences. You know, um, just on an actual sentence level, work on that a little bit to vary it. Um, and also, there's just some vagueness here. Um, you know, she's she's heard of this mirror that has these properties but she doesn't know how fragile legends truly are. I don't know what that means. Um, We know that her use of the mirror is going to backfire. So essentially, she uses the mirror to help her father, and in helping her father, um, she traps her sister. Um, And that core conflict is interesting. You know, she's got these two family members that she obviously cares about. She wants to help one and does so without realizing that she's going to endanger the other. Um, you know, so that's interesting. I'm not really sure about the, like the physical object of this mirror. It seems like she has it, but then later on it's with the king and under his protection. Um, so I'm not sure, you know, what's going on with that. And then we have this plot with, um, Fox who has his own political agenda and she needs to align herself with him in order to undo the magic that has trapped her sister. Um, and that is interesting too. So I think there's lots of interesting things here. I just don't necessarily see how they all connect. It's, it's the, uh, like the honest truth is it's, I feel like the story, the, the beginning should be condensed because it's just Saskia knows that this mythical thing exists and we don't know. So we know it has wish granting properties, which is interesting. So it's kind of, so she, she finds this object to save her father and unknowingly traps her sister in deep sleep. So like, that's, that's fine. And I feel like that beginning can be condensed a little bit. I mean, granted this isn't very long. It's only 214 words, but at the same time, it's too it's it's too long the beginning setup is all we need to know is that she wanted to do something to save one family member and ends up endangering another okay so then to fix her mistake 
she goes to the Imperial Palace. And I almost feel like that's where the story starts. Mm-hmm. She goes to the Imperial Palace to figure out how to fix her, her mistake, and in the process gets embroiled in this sort of good versus evil and this kind of a thing, and she gets caught up in this enigmatic person, and I feel like that's kind of where the majority of the story is, and therefore I feel like the majority of the query the should query. probably be fo- focused on that. Yep. Um, there are, there, it just, it is, it's vague. It's it's got details, which some good ones. It's got you know it tells us who Fox is and what he's like, and but we we don't know why, how, or rather how her father goes grows ill. We don't know how the Black Mirror traps her sister and all those consequences. It's just it's a lot of vagueness that I'm trying to parse through, and it's short, so you do have some time to kind of expand on this a little bit. Mm-hmm. And there are certain things about this query that make me a little bit, you know, some of the writing itself that we think is maybe not quite there yet. You know, the 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 phrase "how fragile legends truly are." What does that mean? Why is that even there? You know, for we could literally just have the sentence: Saskia has heard mythic tales of the Black Mirror her entire life, of the Black Mirror and its wish-granting properties her entire life. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all we need to know. You know, because we know that it grants wishes, and then we know her father grows ill, so she goes to find it. So, like, we don't need kind of all this extra stuff around it. So we've got good details and a lot of fluff. And there are also other some phrasing that makes me a little bit questionable, like kind of the phrase, unknowing that the magic it possesses will trap her sister. It Like, little, little diction things like choices like that to me that read as errors rather than deliberate choices but i kind of get the sense that the writer is trying to get at a fairy tale vibe in the query mm-hmm. yeah it's not really coming through for me though yeah i agree um but i think there like i think cause i think there is an interesting story here this is probably a story i would love to read i love this kind of a thing i love sort of dark fairy yeah. tales and 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 the sacrifices people you know heroines have to make for their family members and coming across enigmatic figures like I love that stuff it's my catnip, as somebody else would say so I think there are the bones of a really great story in there but we just need to have that assembled for us in a way that makes us want to read more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I do think there's something here for sure. I just don't think this query delivers on what sounds like is a really great story. Um, but I don't know. Reading this query, I think I, it would sound interesting. I wouldn't necessarily request pages. I might, you know, because I always ask for the first chapter, I would scroll down and I would read, you know, the first chapter. And, and depending on the writing, um, I would hope that this is one of those situations where the writer is just struggling to write the query, but then the the actual book itself comes through. Um but if I didn't have a writing sample attached, I, I would probably pass on this just because I would be concerned about execution. Yeah. Okay, shall we move on? It's our last yes. our last query. Okay, let's see. Our last query. Dear Kelly and JJ, 17-year-old Taya Warren will do anything to succeed as an apprentice healer volunteer for extra night shifts, distill caustic cures for wayward curses, and when the curator of the city's museum dies on her watch, 
cover up his murder. But concealing the murder doesn't save Taya's reputation as a healer. Instead, it leaves her on the run from the city guard. Desperate, Taya makes a deal with Lal, heir to Elspeth City's criminal underworld. Lal will fabricate evidence to clear Taya's name if Taya helps her steal the museum vault. But the museum has no intention of giving up its treasure. To break through the vault's elaborate magical defenses, Taya and Lal recruit an unlikely crew, a scholarly ex-boyfriend, a runaway mage, and the curator's wealthy protege. Together, they con a pompous nobleman out of the architectural plans, brave the icy waters of Elspeth Bay to break a reluctant locksmith out of prison, and magically, and illegally, impersonate the curator during the governor's ball. Yet, even as their capers bring them near to opening the vault, they must evade arrest and head off betrayal from within the crew. As the city guard circles closer and closer to the museum and the truth, Taya must choose between her career and her safety, because to fulfill her bargain with Lal and clear her name, Taya must outwit the mind-altering magic that lurks in the vault. Title is a standalone work of young adult fantasy with serious potential, and is complete at 85,000 words. It will appeal to fans of Libra Bray's Diviners series and V.E. Schwab's Shades of Magic trilogy. Thank you. Okay, so I have one or two very mild comments, but essentially when JJ and I are done recording, I'm going to contact this author and request to see the full manuscript. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I honestly, I the only comment I had on this one was, we'll read I Love Magical Heists more, please. Yeah, um, yeah, this has all my catnip. It's great. The it's only, great. Literally, I only have one thing, and I think, Kelly, it's the same one, which is the sentence, but concealing the murder doesn't save Taya's reputation as a healer. Yes. It's literally the only sentence that kind of doesn't make sense, but the rest of it is so great, I don't care. Yep. <laughs> yep. I agree, because we don't know that her reputation is on the line in any way. We know that she's willing to succeed, but we don't you know, necessarily know that's because she's on thin ice or anything. Um, and like JJ said, I don't care. I was all in right from the beginning. I think this is great. Um, not only is it my personal catnip and, and I just love the idea of this story. JJ can tell you, I love heists. Mm -hmm. I love heist movies. I love heist books. I'm all in. I love it. Um, I also think this query does a really great job of handling a large cast of characters. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of people in this book, but um, she focuses on the characters that we need to know, and the rest are kind of distilled down into their function within the plot. You know, the runaway mage, the ex-boyfriend, um, and that's fine. That's all we need to know about them, because we know who these two main characters are. And so even though I'm sure these other characters will feature prominently in the book, I don't need them in the query. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, the only real... Criticism, I, I think you can tell, even in the writing of the query, how strong the writing in the book must be. Mm -hmm. The We have, in one sentence, we know exactly who Taya is. She's willing to do anything to succeed at what she wants until she screws up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the consequences of that screw-up force her to make a bargain. And so, like, just in, like, two sentences it's only a hundred it's only 231 words long but it's everything we need in a story we know what the stakes are personally for Taya. Mm -hmm. we know what the stakes are physically you know they have to go against a magical museum and all this and there's like a caper and we get a little flavor of what the caper is 
um, which all sounds delightful to me. Mm-hmm. And it just, I think, the, literally the only thing I would say is, you know, so the beginning is 17-year-old Taya Warren will do anything to succeed as an apprentice healer, volunteer for extra night shifts, distill caustic cures for wayward curses, and when the curator of the city's museum dies on her watch, cover up his murder. And just launch into the fact that the murder causes her to be on the run from the city guard. We don't need that first bit about how it jeopardizes her reputation. Yeah. The fact that she has to cover up anyone's murder at all is yeah. probably going to make you run from the city guard. So that's fine. And aside from that, I look forward to seeing this one on the shelves because it sounds great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I really am going to email this author and be like, hi, technically you didn't submit to me, but I would like you to. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this is great. And we always like to end on a high note. Um, But I do think, you know, too, I think this is more than just one individual query being successful. I think this is really one that people can learn from because it juggles a lot of information. Mm -hmm. There's a a clearly a complicated plot at play here. There's clearly a large cast of characters. Um, But this was clear. You know, it was well communicated. I understood everything that was going on. I never felt lost. I never felt like I wasn't grounded. Um, You know, so we get a lot of information, but it's communicated really well. All right. So, yeah, well, thank you guys for submitting. We did get quite a few, and I honestly do want to stress to y'all that the quality of the queries that we have been receiving have been pretty good. And yeah. although we all we ha- although we were critical about a couple of these, uh, honestly, this is worlds better than a lot of the stuff that we have seen before. And I'm sure worlds better than a lot of the stuff Kelly sees in her inbox. So... I I wouldn't worry just, you know, taking some of the advice that we've given about clarifying the storyline, finding the right details. Um, Hopefully you guys can sharpen these all up and you can send them out. And I wish you all the best and your Mm -hmm. success rate. So absolutely. All right. Shall we move on to our next segment? Let's. So what are you working on? Um, I am just working on work, catching up still behind on all my queries and everything like that. I haven't really uh, started anything new, so that's same old, same old. What about you? I turned in book two. <gasps> Yay! It is a hot mess. That's okay, though. It's alright. It's done. It's in. <laughs> and now you get to do. fix it. I know. I all, all I did, basically, was repeat to myself, I can, be, I, can fi- I can fix it later, I can fix it later, I can fix it yep. later, I can fix it later. Um, basically also, I sent my editor basically 70,000 words, apologizing for how terrible the 70,000 words, and then wrote up a synopsis of the ending of the book because I was too embarrassed to show her the writing that was in the ending of the book. (laughs) Um, and I was like, I was like, I'm just going to work on making the last bit of it not terrible to read. Um, but this is the story. And, you know, and that's really the whole point of the first draft anyway, is to get the story down. Oh, yeah. Um, so I think I have the story, and I think I also know what I need to fix in it, even before my editor gets back to me. But because I literally hit send on this manuscript yesterday, <laughs> um, I already know what I need to fix. And part of the problem for me as well, writing this draft was resisting the urge to go back and fix it before moving right. forward. And I was at the point, too, where I was like, there's no point in fixing the beginning now. So just go all the way through the end, turn in this terrible Frankenstein hot mess of a book to my editor, and then fix it later. And now that I know what the story is, I have a much better idea of how to write it properly. 
Um, but yeah, I was right under the wire um, because I'm leaving for Los Angeles tomorrow for a very long, ex- very extended period of time, basically. Um, as my first real vacation in a long time. Like, I, you know, because I usually go home for Christmas, but that's pretty short. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I mean, it's longish, but it's short as far as because it's a holiday that everybody's traveling on and all that sort of thing. And then um, Mark and I, due to his schedule and mine, because Mark is a surgeon, and my previous day job, we did not have time to go anywhere together. The last time we went on vacation together was last year when we went to New Orleans. Oh, no, that's not true. Last year we went to Disney World together. <laughs> And then the year before that was when we went to New Orleans. So this and this year, because he's a surgeon, he can only take off two weeks for the whole year. And he cannot take them consecutively. He can only take one week in the first six months of the year and one week in the second six months of the year. And because we're at the point in his residency where he has to start thinking about whether or not he wants to go to fellowship, he's going to be spending both of those vacations interviewing so that is what it is. But I, myself, am going home for like a month to see my parents, to see my friends back home. It's a little bit like being in college again, you know, when you have summer break. Yeah. <laughs> I am looking forward to this because I haven't really had like an extended period of time off like that in a while. So mm-hmm. going back home, it's going to be nice. Um, I have, and I think... I'm obviously going to be revising pretty quickly once my editor gets back to me, but I'm also just going to take the time to do nothing, mm-hmm. but draw and refill my creative well in other ways. So, yay. Have you been reading anything? No, not manuscripts. Um, still reading requested material and trying to, to get that off. I've got um, a couple things came through my library requests, but I have not read them yet or opened them up. So, no. I'm really looking forward to, I think, um, midway through July, I'm hoping that I'll be caught up on requested manuscripts. And um, I have two authors that are editing their books now, but those I don't expect those to come through until the fall. So I think probably the second half of July is when I'll pick up my pleasure reading again, hopefully. <laughs> but nothing right now. Yeah, my stuff that I'm reading right now is actually not published, published books. yet. yeah. My, I have some reading that I'm doing for potential blurbs and also my critique partner's manuscripts. So a lot of my reading right now isn't necessarily anything that's pop culture related. So, mm-hmm. But hopefully I'll have time to do that when I'm home as well, just to start reading books outside mm-hmm. of, of work-related stuff. So then uh, off many recommendations. Glow. Yeah, <laughs> Kelly and I have the same one. <laughs> Oh my god, so Glow is a Netflix TV show, 10 episode season. Um, It is about women's wrestling. Glow stands for the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. It is fictional. Uh, I guess there was actually a Glow show in the 80s. It was a syndicated, much like WWF or WWE, it was a syndicated uh, television show with women wrestlers, and it was called Glow, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a fictional exploration of that kind of thing. I have no intention of 
ever watching this show. I don't like wrestling personally. I never watched it growing up. I watched it for a little while in college, actually, because I was <laughs> I was friends with um, a bunch of guys and briefly dated a guy who was super into wrestling. And so um, I had a little bit of a frame of reference, but it was never something that I watched on my own. Um, but I read this article written by Betty Gilpin, who plays uh, one of the leads in the show, and she just wrote about... Um, her body image and how that changed during the process of filming and what it was like to work um, on a set that was run by women, on a show that was starring women, and what a powerful and um, positive experience it was for her to be working on this show. And I really liked what she had to say about it, and it resonated with me. And I thought, well, you know, I have nothing to do tonight, so I'll throw an episode on. They're like 30-minute short episodes. Um, and then I just watched the whole thing straight through, <laughs> just sat down and I just watched all 10 episodes. I got that judgy, uh, Netflix thing where it's like, are you sure you want to continue you, watching? Are you, can, do you want to continue watching? I'm like, yes, yes, stop I judging do. me. Um, it is so excellent. And I was pestering JJ. I was texting her and I was like, you have to watch this show. You have to watch the show. And she's like, I'm finishing book two. Leave me alone. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no. You have to watch it. And then you yeah, did. Yeah, I mean, Kelly wasn't the only one pestering me for it. Um, there are a lot of my friends who do, um, who are also not into women's wrestling or anything, who just were just like, this is a really good show, by the way. I think you'd like it. And I was like, okay, okay, I just need to turn in the second book. So I did. I turned in the second book and ordered Indian food takeout. And I was like, I'll just start an episode of Glow. Uh, I binged the whole thing. Uh, and I went to bed at 2.30 in the morning because I was just like, I need to finish this show. <laughs> it's honestly it's it's not like one of those like extremely plot driven shows it's not you know one of those things where it's not like lost where i felt like i had to continually watch because i needed to know what on earth was going on it's not like like that the show is really good at building relationships between all of the characters i like all of the characters Everybody. i found them extremely yeah i like them and they're not likable necessarily no. like the main character Allison Brie uh, played by Allison Brie her name is um Ruth Wilder and she is kind of just the worst deeply like, unlikable person she um is really annoying and whatever but yeah at the same time I really like her I love all of the the different women there's what 14 of them mm -hmm. yeah 14 um, women so and two men yeah Three, I guess. Two and a half. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, and we're like, meh. It's, um, it is a little League of Your Own-ish in that it's about kind of a down-and-out dude who, <laughs> you know, is trying, is sort of this last-ditch effort in getting a group of women together to kind of do the distaff counterpart of men's wrestling. Um, so it, it does have a lot of that, and it's about the relationships that form between the women and how they all play against each other. But what I really like about it is that it's not, it doesn't fall into the typical Hollywood traps of seeing all these women turn petty. Yeah. Or competitive or jealous. And there are petty squabbles between them. Um, but it's not like all the dramatic, the dramatic moments don't hinge on the petty moments. It's on the things the dramatic moments come from external things like uh, 
they run out of money and they can't get sponsorship or, you know, like things that you would see in sort of like a scrappy underdog film about people trying to build a house or whatever, you know, it's, it's got that vibe to it. And also it's like, it's an 80, obviously it's, it's set in the eighties and the costumes. So good. And, and the makeup and the music choices and the hair, it's great and it doesn't it's not making fun of it in that it's not a parody but it's clearly like a period piece um glow is great it's so I think good it's it's so good and i mean i think i do have some things about it that i think i'm a, it could be a little bit nitpicky about mm-hmm. i think they try and address some of the things uh, about not just that era, but today about racial stereotypes mm-hmm. and things like that. But I don't know that they delve into any of them enough. It's a little bit surface level. But granted, there are only 10 episodes and they're like 30 minutes long. And I certainly hope it's renewed for a second season because I feel like they would probably take time to delve into those things in second seasons. Um, so yeah, there's like small criticisms here and there, but... Ultimately, it just left a really big smile on my face so good. when I finished it. I loved it. it. Mm-hmm. Anything else that you had I th- off menu recommendations for? I think that was my main thing. Yeah, I. I mean, obviously, I was in the deep in the in the swamp of book two. Everyone says it's the worst, and I know it's the worst. And I feel like. I think it, I think book two is the worst for many reasons because for most of us, it's the first book we write under contract. So, and it's the first book that we know will be published, that we know the world will see, that we know because everything else I've written until that point was just maybe, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of psychic space in maybe. You know, there's a lot of freedom. You can just be like, well, maybe it won't be published, or maybe it will, so I'm just going to write what I want. And I think for a long time for this book, I was stymied by trying to balance what I wanted to write, which I didn't know what I wanted to write about this book for a long time. I figured it out, but it took a lot longer because it took longer for me to separate out what I wanted to write from what I thought people wanted me to write. And that's kind of a tricky thing to navigate. So I just, it took me a long time, and I love this book, and I hate this book. (laughs) I do. It's very much like, I'm really glad that I had the chance to write it, and that I had the chance to spend time with these characters, and (laughs) go off into the world. I never want to see you again. So anyway, if you guys have any other off menu recommendations that you want to give us, please do, since I do have time off now. Um, so if you've liked anything and you want me to review things or whatever, go ahead and leave them in. I might go see Baby Driver this weekend. So it's the new Edgar Wright movie. Oh, we saw Despicable 3, Me 3 the other day. Oh, how was that? It was. I've never seen any of the other ones, um, but there was a family event thing, and it, I took my daughter um, to her first time in the movie theater, and it was really cute. <laughs> so my dad just sent me an email that just says "Despicable Me 3, and then it, in the body was just "We're going to watch this when you're home." <laughs> um, 
And my, I mean, granted, my family, I'm 30, almost 32, and my brother is 21. So we're not exactly despicable me age. Um, but all of us really like these movies. I don't know. I think there's, I mean, they're not, they're not like the level of Disney. I'll put it that way. But I think there's something charming about this guy who's like, I'm a villain. And the first movie, he's like, I'm a villain. And then he gets kind of these three girls just sort of dropped on his doorstep and he has to adopt them. Or rather, he doesn't have to adopt them, but he sort of is like, hmm, I can use these adorable children in my villainous schemes. And then over the course of it, they develop into a family. And it is very adorable. So we just kind of were like, oh, that's cute. And then every time it's on TV, we always watch together. Okay. So my dad's like, we're going to go see this when we're home. Okay, dad. That is all for this week. Next week, we'll be continuing our Summer of Archetypes series by discussing the Chosen One archetype. So as always, if you want more, please subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Pickle, or your podcast provider of choice. Also, if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance as it helps other listeners find the podcast. If you want more pub crawl goodness, you can go to our website, publishingcrawl.com, where we have many more posts and articles about various aspects of reading, writing, and the publishing industry. You can also follow us on Twitter at PubCrawlBlog, as well as on Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at PublishingCrawl. You can follow me, JJ, at SJJones, that's S-J-A-E-J-O-N-E-S, on Twitter, or my website, sjjones.com. And you can follow me, Kelly, at BookishChick on Twitter or Instagram, or my website, penandparsley.com. Our theme music is Quirky Dog by Kevin McLeod, and our logo is designed by Aaron Bowman, author of Retribution Rails, forthcoming November 7th. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to email us at publishingcrawl at gmail.com, use the hashtag AskPubCrawl, or send us an ask through Tumblr. Thanks so much for listening. Bye! Bye! Bye!